Bibles today, if you would please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We are coming down close to the end of our series of the Gospel of John. Just three more messages to preach. Today we're looking at John chapter 20 once again. Perhaps uh, some of you at one time or another, you may have been in a discussion with someone about the Bible. And a person may ask the question, what is the only man-made thing in heaven? Well, we know that God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us that. And we can understand how man makes some things here on the earth. But what could there be in heaven that's been made by man? And I think most of you probably know the answer to that question. The only thing that's in heaven made by man are the scars or those wounds in the hands and the feet of Jesus. And though Jesus is in heaven right now, I firmly do believe that throughout all of eternity, the people of God in heaven will be able to see those scars, all of those wounds as a visual reminder of what Jesus went through for us. Sometimes on Sunday morning, we sing the song, Crown Him with Many Crowns. And there's a line in that song that says, Rich wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. There wasn't anything at all beautiful about the wounds of Jesus when he hung on the cross. But now he's in heaven, and those wounds are there in beauty glorified. Zechariah 13.6 speaks of the second coming of Christ. And that scripture tells us that when Jesus comes back, we'll still be able to see the marks of those scars. In Revelation chapter 5, verse number 6, the apostle John speaks about seeing the Lord in heaven. And he writes there that he saw a lamb as it had been slain. And so those wounds that were in Jesus, his hands and his feet and his side, those were very apparent to the apostle John. Rich wounds yet visible in beauty, glorified. Well, you remember from our message last week that we talked about the Sunday night of the resurrection when Jesus appeared to his disciples. One of the disciples wasn't there. That was Thomas. He missed that particular service. And we're going to start reading from that part there where Thomas missed this service. And we're going to point out today the invitation that Jesus gave to Thomas to come and touch those nail prints that were in his hand. If you please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're looking at John chapter 20, beginning at verse number 24. John 20, verse number 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side... I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we ask you that you might bless this message as we bring it. Help us to understand your word better. And Lord, as we think about those scars and those wounds in your hands, your feet, and your side, may we see the suffering of our Savior and know, Lord, that there's value in that and that you have a lesson for us to learn today from it. We ask these things in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. 
1924, the, the great hymn writer and Baptist preacher, by the way, B.B. McKinney, was attending a revival service in Texas. There was an evangelist who was preaching, and he was preaching from the very same text that we've just read here in John chapter 20. And at the end of his sermon, the evangelist leaned forward from the pulpit and from the platform area, and he said, why don't you place your hand in the nail-scarred hands? B.B. McKinney took that statement of that preacher, and he wrote the song, The Nail-Scarred Hands. One of the lines of that song says, Place your hand in the nail-scarred hands. He will keep to the end. He's your dearest friend. Place your hand in the nail-scarred hands. Today I want to talk to you about the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. I want to talk about those wounds, but we're not going to talk so much today about what caused those wounds. But I want to talk to you about the reason why they were there. Why did Jesus go through suffering? What's that all about? Maybe you're here today and you have some kind of suffering in your life. You don't, probably don't have the physical scars that Jesus had, but there is some kind of emotional pain that you're going through or even some physical pain. And you may be wondering right now, why does God allow such things as that? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? I really don't understand what it's all about. Well, today in the message, I hope that I can help you to understand a little bit more about that as we're going to look at the subject of why God allows pain and suffering. What's that all for? So let's talk about this. The first thing I want you to notice today is that God chooses to suffer. This is an amazing thing, but God himself chooses to suffer. Whenever you think about suffering and pain and all the things that we go through in life, you, you have to consider, you first think about, what about the problem of human suffering? That's the first thing we think about. I'm suffering. I've got a problem. And what's all of that about? Uh, about Does God have the ability to alleviate my suffering? Now, there are some people who pray to God, and they ask God to remove the pain from their lives, and God doesn't do that. The pain still remains. And so people ask the question, does God actually have the power to remove that pain from my life? And if God does have the power, then why doesn't he use the power? Why doesn't he take away all of my pain and suffering? Why do I have to go through all of these things? Is it because God really doesn't care about it? Well, we all know people, I think, who have no relationship with the Lord. And many people do stumble over this very question. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why does God allow little children to suffer? Why is it that there are places in the world where there are all kinds of injustices? Why is it that men and women, children all around the world are suffering in pain and go through many horrible different things? Why does God allow people to suffer? Well, I think that we can only answer the problem of human suffering by looking at the problem of divine suffering. If you're really going to understand why humans have to suffer, then first you need to understand why is it that God himself went through suffering? I mean, surely that's a better question for us, isn't it? If if there is uh, human suffering and we know there's divine suffering, why does God choose to go through that? If he has the power to alleviate his own suffering... Why doesn't God take it away? Why did Jesus allow himself to be nailed to a cross? Why did he go through that pain? Why was there a crown of thorns? Why was there that beating and that humiliation and all the pain that was associated with the cross? If God had the power to alleviate his own suffering, then why didn't he choose to do it? 
Well, we're not going to understand human suffering until we understand why God went through suffering. Well, you might ask the question, does God really suffer? Yes, God did suffer. And in fact, God still suffers today. Did you know that? God is still suffering. We have a triune God, and there are at least three ways that I want to show you in the beginning of the message today that God suffers. First, God suffers as a father. He's a father, and he suffers as a father. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 20, there are two questions that are asked in the beginning of that verse. It says, is Ephraim my dear son? And the answer to the question is yes, Ephraim is God's dear son. That stands for Israel. And we could also say that that stands for anyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. Is Ephraim my dear son? The second question in that verse is, is he a pleasant child? And the answer at that particular time was no, because even though Ephraim was God's dear son, yet Ephraim was in rebellion against God. Israel had gone against God. And so God follows that up by saying, since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. So there God says, my bowels are troubled. And what he means by that actually is that I'm just literally sick to my stomach because of the rebellion of my children. If you're a parent here today, have you ever gone through something like that? Your child, has a child ever done something that you were very unhappy with? Has walked wayward? Has something has happened to that child? They're not uh, obeying you or they become rebellious and that child has hurt you? I'm sure that there are people today here that have gone through that. And we know that children do bring pain and suffering into our lives. I've never actually had to experience that with my own children. My children thank the Lord. They, they've trusted him. They're serving the Lord right now. And we're so thankful for that. I've never gone through that kind of pain and suffering with my children. But I have had things happen to my children that caused me to suffer as well. I remember when our daughter uh, Clarissa was really little that I was carrying her from the car into the house. And I had her in this little baby carrier. I don't know what happened, but I twisted it the wrong way. And I dumped that little baby on the ground right on her head. Well, I I would rather have someone beat me with a stick than to hurt that little bitty baby. But I suffered because of what she was going through. I remember in 1982, this finger that I have here, I've got my wedding ring on. This finger, I I cut this off. And uh, I had to go through about 17 hours of microsurgery to have this finger reattached. When I woke up in the hospital, my dad was there and he was crying like a baby. I was 28 years old, and he was still crying. Well, he was suffering because of what I was going through. And this is what God is saying here. I have children, and when my children rebel against me, when they don't do what I want them to do, I suffer because of that. Because I'm a father, I suffer. I didn't have a choice when I suffered over my children. My dad didn't have a choice when he suffered because of what happened to me. But certainly we can say this, God has a choice. God doesn't have to suffer, but God has chosen to suffer. Now, when you think about that and look at it that way, then there must be something to this idea of suffering or else God would not even allow it to happen to himself. Well, that's not the only way that God suffers. As I said, he is the triune God. God also suffers as the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, And grieve not 
the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. We've been studying Ephesians in our Wednesday night services. And in chapters 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul talks about ways that the children of God walk contrary and they rebel against the Holy Spirit. And because of that, the way that they live, the Holy Spirit is grieved. And the Holy Spirit is grieved when we rebel against his teachings. The Bible tells us that when we get saved, that the Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts. Our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so whenever we resist him, God suffers because of that. The Holy Spirit is grieved because of that. You remember right here in the Gospel of John, Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would come and the Holy Spirit would abide with them forever. And that very same Holy Spirit is right here among every Christian who is a believer and a child of God. And whenever you resist him, Whenever you resist the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is grieved. And God allows himself to suffer over that. He allows himself to be grieved. But not only the Father suffers, not only the Holy Spirit suffers, but also Jesus the Son suffers, and Jesus suffers as the head of the church. Now also in the book of Ephesians, we're told Jesus is the head of the church. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. And whenever the body suffers, what happens? When your physical body suffers, what happens? The pain registers in your head, doesn't it? That's where it goes to, and that's how you recognize it. Well, the same thing is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body, the head of his church, and when his church suffers, he also hurts. That's very beautifully illustrated for us in the book of Acts. Remember the story of the Apostle Paul? How that he was converted on the road to Damascus? Do you know what Paul was doing? Saul of Tarsus, as he was called. What was he doing before he was saved? Well, he was accosting Christians. He was going and capturing Christians, putting them in chains, hauling them off to the dungeon, and then later those Christians would be killed. Well, on this particular day, Paul had received his orders from the high priest that he was to go to Damascus, And there in Damascus, he would find more Christians that he could capture, that he could bring back in chains, throw them into the dungeons, and then they would be killed. Well, as Paul was traveling to Damascus, you remember that there was a great, bright, shining light that shone all around him, and Paul was blinded. Then he heard a voice speak to him, and it was the voice of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Well, that was an odd thing. Saul had never met Jesus. By that time, Jesus had already been crucified. Jesus had been put in the tomb. He'd resurrected from the grave. He ascended into heaven. Saul had never actually seen, possibly, or even met Jesus at all. So how could he say that he was persecuting him? Well, the answer is that he was persecuting the people of God. He was taking those Christians, and he was, he was taking them to prison... And when he did that, he was hurting the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, this is my body. And when you hurt my body, you're also hurting me. So as Paul did that, he was persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, it was through that experience that the Saul of Tarsus became the great missionary preacher, the Apostle Paul. I want to warn you today, be very careful about how you talk about and how you injure people who are part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Be careful what you say about other Christians and what you do to them. Because when you hurt them, you are also hurting the living head who is Jesus Christ. So isn't that an amazing thing? God chooses to suffer. If you're complaining and you're wondering about this, why do I have to go through suffering? Then just understand that God has to see something valuable in this. If God didn't think that it was valuable in some way or another, then he, the very perfect God himself, would not have allowed himself to suffer. But I want you to notice next that God cares enough to allow us to suffer. Now, I can just imagine you're not too convinced about that. God cares enough to allow me to suffer? Well, thank you very much, God, but I'm doing quite well on my own. I appreciate it very much. No, God does care enough about us to allow us to suffer. Now, suffering is actually a gift. You may not be too convinced of that, but suffering is actually a gift. You know, if I was God, if I was the creator of this world, I would do things quite differently. In my world, if I was the creator, there would be no pain. There would be no fat cells. I wouldn't allow that. Every hit would be a home run. Every pass would be a touchdown. That's how things would go in my world. But I'm not God. And I don't have the wisdom of God. And I don't act like God. I just know this, that God cares enough to allow it. And the truth of it is, he really does know all about it, and he really does care about it. In, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible says that Jesus understands it all. It says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So very clearly, Jesus sympathizes with us. He knows all about it. When you think about what Jesus went through, he also saw the death of loved ones, didn't he? Jesus also experienced different kinds of pain throughout his life. He experienced the rejection of his friends. Jesus also experienced being dirt poor. He went through that. And of course, we know we preached on it in six messages just recently about Jesus on the cross. He certainly knew all there is to know about physical suffering and abuse. And Jesus went through it all. And because he did... He has compassion on everything that we experience. That's why Jesus says, cast all of your cares upon me, because he knows about it all. Well, maybe you're still not too convinced about that. If God really does care so much for me, why does he allow me to go through it? Why is there this pain and suffering? I mean, this emotional problems that I go through, the sicknesses that I have. Why do I have to deal with death of loved ones? Why did I have to go through a divorce? What was all that about? Why did God allow that to happen? And what about rebellious teenagers? Why in the world does God create rebellious teenagers? Why does God allow all those things? Well, have you ever considered this? We suffer because we love. And the greater that we love is the greater the capacity to suffer. I've seen people who have been married for many, many, many years. Their spouse dies, and they love that mate very dearly. And when that person dies, the pain and suffering is intensified. They have a relationship with that person. They love them very dearly. But you know... Every morning before I come to church to go to work, I pick up the newspaper and I flip through the pages and I find there a list of obituaries. Many, many people in the area, of course, die and I read all those obituaries. But I have to be honest with you. I don't suffer too much and I don't agonize too much over somebody across town who dies that I don't know anything about. 
I mean, quite honestly, I don't. But if I pick up the newspaper and I read there that someone that I know and someone that I love has passed away, that bothers me. And I have suffering and I have anguish because of that because I love that person. It's different if I don't know them, but if I do know them, then I suffer because of it. And do you know that God has a greater capacity to suffer than anyone? God loves more than anyone because he has the capacity to suffer more than anyone. So God could have eliminated all of this pain and suffering, but he didn't because he knew that there's value in it. Now, I'm going to show you some things here today. There is value in your pain. The first value of your pain is that it protects us. Pain is there to protect us. I want you to imagine for just a moment that this pulpit right here was a hot stove. I come over and I touch this, this hot stove. You know what happens? Immediately, those nerves and, and sensory organs on the end of my fingertips, they send a message to my brain and they tell me something's wrong there. Stay away from that. That's hot. Don't touch it. And my hand draws immediately away. And God has put that wonderful mechanism into us to realize pain because that protects us. If we lay our hand down on it, it's going to burn it. It's going to cause us a big problem later on. And so just feeling that pain in that, synth, in that one short moment that causes us to draw our hands away from it. I remember a few years ago, I was playing basketball with some of the guys in church. This was in Kentucky. We were, we were playing on a Monday night, which we usually did. I went up for a rebound, and I came down. I thought I was landing straight, but somehow I got a little bit of a twisting motion. And the ACL in my knee tore in two. And when it did, my knee buckled, and then my arms started to get my balance. And then my body started to twist, and it said, fall on your back so you don't hurt that beautiful face. And so it was, it was, I was just twisting all around, and all in one graceful motion, I fell to the floor. Now, that's the way I saw it, at least. But the pain I experienced is there to protect me. God's put it as a mechanism to protect us. In the Bible, there's a disease called leprosy. One of the terrible things about this disease is that there is no feeling, no pain associated with it. And so what happens is when a person has leprosy, they may touch something that's hot and burn themselves severely, and they don't even know it. They may cut off the end of a finger or their toes, and they don't even realize it. They don't have that protection of the pain. But God has given us a wonderful body. He's built in pain for our protection. Another value that we have in pain is that pain unifies us. As I spoke just a moment ago, when your body experiences pain, the whole body gets into the act. Because I cut this finger off a few years ago, I'm very, very sensitive about my hands and about my fingers. I'm very careful about what I do. And I almost shudder sometimes when I think about getting burned or, or, or having something happen to my fingers. I've been through that and I know what it's like. So I'm very careful about it. And I think about, you know, taking a hammer or something and mashing my thumb. Oh, that gives me cold chills all over my body when I think about that. I would make a very good carpenter. I can't pick up that hammer like those guys and just swing it down there and hit that nail. I know for sure I'm going to hit my thumb. Anybody ever done it? You ever mashed your thumb with a, with a hammer? What happens when you do that? The whole body gets involved, doesn't it? First of all, this hand drops the hammer. This one starts going like that, and this one comes over to hold it. Then you jump up and down, and then your, your vocal cords, ow, get involved in it. The whole body comes together because there's one part of the body that hurts. 
It suffers, and so the whole body takes care of that. Now, I want you to go back to this thought again. The thought of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ being his body. And what happens when one part of the body gets hurt? Well, the Apostle Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 12, he says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So what he's telling us is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are a member of the Lord's church, you have become a part of his body. But then he goes on in verse number 26 and he says, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. So you see what happens here? When one member of the church has a problem and begins to suffer, all of the rest of the church body begins to gather around that one member. We start to show care and concern for one another. We see the suffering of another member of our church body, and we feel the pain that they feel. And what we want to do is help correct that and comfort them and be there for them. If you're not a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not a member of a Bible-believing church, here's one of your best reasons to become a member of a church. And that's because you have the care and concern of the rest of the body. You have the other membership there to take care of you. And that's a wonderful thing that God has given us, this body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be a part of a loving, caring body when you become a part of the Berean Baptist Church. So pain and suffering... God uses that to bring the body of Jesus Christ closer together. We strive together because there are people in our congregation who have problems and we pray for them and that unifies it. It brings us all together. And that's part of the value of the value that's attached to pain. But not only that, there's another value of pain and that is to correct us. Now, if you've missed everything else that I've said, do not miss this part. Pain is here to correct us. Something is wrong, and it must be corrected. That finger on the hot stove, why? Why do we get that feeling and that sensation? Because our brain is telling us there is something wrong there. That needs to be corrected. So what does pain do? Well, I've made this a separate statement on your listening sheet today because I want to make sure that you get it. I want you to write it down. Pain reminds us something is desperately wrong with this world. Why is there leukemia? Why are there children that are abused? Why is there death and disease? Something's wrong. Something is terribly wrong with this creation. And I want to remind you today, lest you've forgotten, folks, that this world is a fallen, sick, sinful, suffering world. And the cruelest thing that God could ever have done, the cruelest thing that God could have done, was to remove all pain and suffering so that we don't know there's something wrong with it. Something is desperately wrong in this world. And pain and suffering is a constant reminder of it. Something's wrong, and if there was no pain and suffering... We wouldn't recognize that fact, and we wouldn't know that this needs to be corrected. Well, what's wrong with the world? I think you already know, don't you? Sin. That's what's wrong with the world. Sin came into the world. And because of sin, we have all of this pain and suffering. And pain and suffering is not discriminate. All of God's creation is afflicted with pain and suffering. If you wonder why do babies suffer... Why innocent little babies, why do they suffer? That just shows you how terribly wrong things have gone. The Bible puts it very well in 
sums the whole picture up in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, where it talks there about the whole creation groans together, waiting for its redemption. Sin has caused this terrible pain in the world. And God has allowed pain and suffering so that we can recognize that sin is here and that we need to do something about it. So when you have pain and suffering, don't pass that off. Know this, that God's teaching you a lesson through it. There's something for you to learn. It's valuable for you. Or otherwise, God would not allow it to come into your life. But then we see this. God chooses to suffer. He cares enough to allow us to suffer. And then this is so important for all Christians. God conforms us to Jesus' likeness through suffering. You see, the goal of a Christian as you go through this life is that you might become more and more like Jesus Christ. Some people are confused about that. I've told you many times before that people think, lots of people think, well, the goal of being saved and becoming a Christian is that I can go to heaven. That's the goal. Well, I've also told you if that's the goal, then what we need to do is shorten the stroke a little bit. And that is when you get saved, we'll just shoot you in the head and send you straight to heaven. You come up here today and you tell me, Pastor, I've trusted the Lord. I want to go to heaven. I'll pull out a gun right from under here and shoot you between the eyes. I'll help you get there. That's the fastest way to go. Heaven is not the goal. Heaven is a wonderful benefit that you get from knowing Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, that's not the goal of salvation. Forgiveness is a wonderful benefit that we get from knowing Jesus Christ. The goal of salvation is one and the same, and it's always been one and the same, and that's to make you like Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, the Scripture says, For whom he did for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Here's something you need to know. You need to understand this, that if you're going to follow Jesus, you will have scars. We will have scars if you follow Jesus. Now, we're not going to get through life with being a follower of Jesus without those scars. Scars are a reminder of the pathway to glory. And suffering is okay because the more that you suffer, the more that you'll become like Jesus Christ. I want to read a scripture for you from Philippians chapter 10. Pay very close attention to the way I read it. I just, I just might read this wrong, but pay attention to what it says. Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his blessings. The fellowship of his blessings. The fellowship of his joy. That I might know him in the fellowship of his happiness. And so many people read it this way. That I might know him and enjoy the fellowship of his prosperity. But that's not what it says, is it? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Sufferings. You know, if you listen to very much preaching today, preachers will tell you God doesn't want you to suffer. They don't tell you about suffering, do they? The preachers today will tell you, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to have joy. And as I've said, they say it so many times, God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to be rich. That's what he intends for your life. Nobody ever talks about this suffering at all. Friend, you need to understand this. If you're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, there's going to be some suffering and there will be scars that are involved in it because that's the pathway to glory. Why do we suffer? In order that we might be made more like Christ. He suffered, and so we'll suffer too. If I were to pick out the godliest, holiest person in all the New Testament besides the Lord Jesus Christ, you know who I'd pick? There are lots of good examples, but I would probably pick the Apostle Paul. I mean, here's one who wrote 
most of the New Testament. He, he wrote more than any other single writer of the New Testament. And Paul literally went through some terrible scars and some problems in his life. And I do know this, that Paul would not have fit in with modern preachers that we have today. Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Joyce Meyer, the preaching lady on TV, and all of those, what do they talk about? Prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. God wants you to be rich. But what did the Apostle Paul say? Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The word marks there comes from the Greek word stigmata. Same word from which we get stigma. And what Paul says, I bear in my body the stigma of Jesus Christ. Are you familiar with branding cattle? You know what they do when they brand cattle? They take that brand and they sear it into the flesh. They burn it into the flesh. And that's a mark of ownership. This is exactly the same thing that Paul is saying. I belong to Christ. I'm his. He's branded me. And I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you may not have physical marks on your body. As I said, there's the emotional pain and all that goes through. You go through. And Paul says, you go through this because you have also been branded for Jesus. You belong to him and you'll suffer in order to be made more like him. Now, Paul was one, of course, he could have taken off his shirt and he could have shown you the physical scars that he received. He was shipwrecked and bitten by serpents. He was beaten with the cat of nine tails. He was stoned and left for dead. He could have taken off his shirt and showed you all of those marks. He really did suffer for Christ. And did you know that his suffering for Christ actually enhanced his ministry? Because he bore all those things and endured them for Christ, that made him a better testimony. And people believed in Jesus because of all the things that he was willing to endure. See, God does that for us too. If we go through it, if we endure it patiently, if we accept the pain and the suffering, then God's conforming us to his Son. And when we bear in our body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ, others are brought to him when they see what we're able to endure because of our faith. Well, if I were in charge of the world, would I say no suffering? Probably I would. I'd probably do that. But I want you to think for just a moment. What if I'm preaching today and I learn or, or my daughter in Kentucky gets involved in a very serious accident? Do you think that I'd want to go through the rest of the day and then go through tomorrow and the next day with, without some of my family members in Kentucky calling me and saying, here's what's happened? Well, you know I'd want to know what happened. I would choose to suffer. I would choose to take that mental anguish that goes along with that because I have a relationship with my daughter. I love her. I don't want to see anything happen to her. And so I would be willing right now to accept that pain in my body and the suffering that I would have because of her, because of that relationship that I have with her. And this is true of the Christian in Jesus Christ. If I have to suffer for him, that's okay. Because I have a relationship with him. Because I love him. And he's making me more like him. So what do I know about suffering? Well, I do know this. It's possible to endure it. You can go through it because Jesus went through it. I know this now that it's valuable and it's good for me. If God didn't see value in suffering, he would have taken all the suffering away in the world and he would not have chosen to suffer himself. 
Perhaps that's the message that you need to learn today. Maybe it'll help you to understand that God chose to suffer himself because there is such value in it. He wants you to make you like his son. Jesus really wasn't all that concerned about suffering. Did you know that? I mean, he cares about it. He goes through that with us. But that's not his major concern because Jesus knew that the worst thing that could possibly happen from suffering is what? It would be death. Is death so bad for a Christian? If you think so, then you don't know what being a Christian is all about. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought the past, past the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So what's Jesus doing through suffering? Making us more and more like him. I know you've heard this story before, but I'll tell it once again. Once there was a stranger who was traveling through the mountains of North Carolina. He came upon an old country store, and there was a man sitting there on the porch who was whittling. Sitting all around him were all these things that he'd carved out of wood. Just so happened at that particular time, he was carving a dog out of a piece of wood. Stranger was watching him, and he was just amazed by what he was doing. He said, how do you do that? And he said, I don't know. I just cut away everything that don't look like a dog. And that's what Jesus is doing in our lives through pain and suffering. He's cutting away everything that doesn't look like him. That's the value of pain and suffering. So God uses that to make us more like Christ. Folks, here's what Jesus wants you to do today. He invites you to come personally today and to put your fingers in his nail-scarred hands. He wants you to know that he understands. He's a compassionate and a loving Savior. He's known, he knows everything that you go through. And he invites you, just like he did Thomas, you can put your fingers in my nail-scarred hand. I want you to know that I'm real. I want you to know that I'm here. I want you to know that I care for you. And I am your Savior. I want you to think about that today. Just a moment, we're going to sing that B.B. McKinney song, The Nail-Scarred Hand. I'd like you to close your eyes for just a moment, if you would, please. And I want you to visualize, if you would, those nail-scarred hands. And I want you to think about what you're going through at this moment. And I want you to see yourself reaching up and touching the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. He is a compassionate Savior. He is a loving Savior. He cares for your soul. You need to know him, and you need to lean on him. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ and for those marks of pain that he bore in his body. Lord, we understand that that was for us. The suffering was for us. And Lord, through that, you want us to be conformed to the image of your Son. I ask you, Lord, that you might speak to some heart today who's going through pain and sorrow, through trouble, that you draw them to you and help them to understand that you do care, you do see it, you do know. And then for others here today who may not know you as personal Savior, may they see Jesus as the one who died on that cross to take all sin away. And Lord, I just pray that someone might trust him today. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Bless in this invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.